Hello, I'm Benjamin Martian, the co-creator and executive producer of Tigtone on Adult Swim. And I'm here with... Hi, Fly Fidelity. This is Freddie Christie. It is my privilege to have been, and hopefully to be again in the future, the director of Tigtone. That was a terrible transition, Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> I set you, you want up. the worst one? And you... I'll give you a worse one. Hit me, I'll give you a worse one. All right. Greetings, I am Benjamin Marshan, co-creator and executive producer of Tigtoe on Adult Swim. And I'm here with my travel buddy. I am the travel buddy, <laughs> and my name is Freddie Christie. And you are going to get an even better cross-transition introduction. Fly Fidelity. What more? The queen demands it, a public subject. <laughs> Oh, yeah. First, First I say, what we're going to do. Then you say, I don't know. What do you want to do? What we're going to do, what you want to do. I have an idea. You're going to dig this. The Fly Fidelity Podcast is the solution. It's the best. Check it out. You want to get super flat. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. Fly Fidelity, credible content for incredible times. Welcome to episode 21 with special guest Benjamin Martian, the co-creator and executive producer of Adult Swim's Tigtone. We also speak to Frederick Christie, director of Tigtone, which is available to watch now on War 4 and HBO Max. Enjoy the conversation. So begins the grand battle of our age. A quest! The world is at stake. More quests! Keep them coming! First, you must agree to a bargain. Oh, that wasn't part of the bargain. Unfreeze the frozen library. Help me! Be on fire! <laughs> Cheers to whatever that is. You are in for some trouble, Tiktone. Good! Tiktone is my middle name. We need Tiktoe! There's only one man who can help me now! Tiktoe! Help! Help! Now, get out of here! Can you take me through the earliest formulation of Tigtone, which would have looked a lot different than the show we see now? Talk to me about Tigtone and its origins as a live-action project. Yes, um, it was probably about 2004 or so. Uh, Andrew Kaler and I were in college together. It was the it was our senior year, I believe. I know because the dates. Um, but uh, we were we were writing this fantasy project that was actually a, a live action feature, and uh, it was called Jingus. And actually, the star of the feature was uh, Prince Lavender, who is a very different iteration of the Prince Lavender that ended up in the in the, the animated series. But 
um, we just sort of got super absorbed in this in this fantasy universe that we were creating, and we we were um, writing other shorts that took place within the same universe, and that all kind of had the same um, sort of skewed sense of logic and um, bizarre reasonings and plot devices and um, all that stuff. And one of the shorts that we wrote was a character was with a character called Tigtone, who was kind of like a ranger type Aragorn kind of character and um he was just a total destructive murder hobo who didn't play by the rules he was sort of like the worst character the worst person to play D with who just ruins the game for everybody <laughs> and uh <laughs> and so we wrote we wrote this uh, short called the walkings of tigtone and we actually thought we could shoot it we started to shoot it this was kind of the early days of like consumer level um digital cameras and compositing techniques and stuff and um, so we were shooting – well, we actually shot a bunch of stuff for the feature that we tried to get a grant for. And I, um, no surprise we didn't get the grant for the feature because it was just like so far beyond our means to produce as like two broke college kids with a camera and some blue and green sheets that we were trying to like do these shots with. Um, anyway, so we did – we did have – I think I remember we actually had somebody cast as Tigtone. I really? made, yeah, I made some props for it. Like I made Tigtone's quill and, uh, one of the props in the short was like a staff, a, sh- a staff of shaking the head. It was just a staff with a bell on the end of it. So I made that we had like Tigtone's costume and everything, but we only shot like one, like, f- like f- fraction of a scene before we realized like, we just can't do this. This is just not going to work. So that was when, you know, kind of a couple years went by and then Andrew started to develop this um, motion capture technique because what we wanted was we wanted like we were basically like, why can't we just make fantasy like fantasy art come to life, like Magic the Gathering cards come to life. So that was like the spring off for Andrew to then play around with this motion capture technique um, and then basically slap 3D motion capture onto uh, 2D images. And then that's when Tigtone and and Tigtone was the natural character to do the tests with. It, it was all a test that Andrew was doing at first that just kind of snowballed into a short. And the natural character to try the test out with was Tigtone because we had already kind of advanced with that character as the live action short. So he was just like, "Oh, well, let's just try a Tigtone and see how that works." So, and then it just built and went from there, and it became the begun of Tigtone, which is the short that we put up on YouTube. Uh-huh. Um, if I could jump in on that mocap technique, um, Luke, I think like you look at Tigtone these days or like, you know, anyone looking at Tigtone these days might be kind of like, uh, you know, you'd look at it and you would kind of immediately recognize it as some kind of like motion capture facial recognition thing that we've all become really used to seeing on TikTok and Snapchat. But um, when I this, you know, like said five ish years ago when I saw this thing that Andrew had done, like that wasn't really being done at the time. And like what Andrew did technically as an animator was extremely innovative and extremely bizarre to the, like, and I, you know, at the time I, when I, when Tigtone, you know, rolled across my desk uh, at Titmouse, you know, I looked at it 
And I, at that point, I had had like a, do, you know, a dozen, you know, maybe 15 years of professional experience in the animation industry, like mostly in 2D, but I know what CG is, right? Like I'm not, you know, they're not foreign concepts. I looked at Tigtone and I practically threw my hands up and was like, I'm done because I don't know how animation works anymore. I don't <laughs> know how this guy did this. I don't know what I'm looking at. I think I might be obsolete. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's crazy, though, is like it, it did like um, kind of just barely predate the the face, the, the like deep fakes, the like deep fake um, facial recognition stuff that you're seeing right now where you're seeing like people bringing the Mona Lisa to life and singing the Macarena or whatever. And I'm like looking at this stuff. I'm going, oh, this is looks just like Tigtone, like, <laughs> we, you know. But yeah, at the time when Andrew was was messing around with this and we were like doing the tests and stuff, it was um, it was really archaic and there wasn't like you know we were basically like I always say like digitally duct taping these plugins and stuff together in After Effects to try to get this to work and um, it was like you know gluing the dots on the face and then holding really still and 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 performing the acting to the lines that we had and. Um, it it was the what's so funny about it is that like the whole process is convoluted like it doesn't need to exist there's no reason anybody would do 3d motion capture and then stick that information onto a 2d image you know the reason you do the 3d motion capture is so you can move your characters in 3d but tigtone can't even turn his head <laughs> you know yeah yeah <laughs> So what were some of the challenges in navigating such an evolving technique, you know, with this show? Were there many challenges along making Tig Tone together? Um, you know, go, just uh, to hop back to the origin, there was the, the last piece of that origin story puzzle was the um, getting it to Adult Swim, um, which was Blake Anderson's uh, fault. So um, <laughs> we... <laughs> We put, we put it up on, on YouTube, and then it it inadvertently got into the hands of Blake Anderson, who then just sent us a message, an email, and said he wanted to walk it into Adult Swim as a as a show. So we were extremely lucky in that we had um, Blake as sort of our guardian angel to uh, to get it in front of Adult Swim. So Blake is an extremely radical guardian angel. Yeah. He swooped down in his uh, he swooped down in his uh, Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about Adult Swim. How much freedom does Adult Swim give you? Have you ever been reined in on anything for TikTok? Um, our notes were incredibly lax. Like they really, they really were hands off, and they they only knew when to step in when they they had to step in and say something and it was like very rare that they were giving us notes that were anything beyond very minimal like they were they were so it was great it was so they were so they're so hands-off and that's why they get the content they get as far as um you know create creator driven unique uh unique shows um i can't think of anything that was major we had like one story note at one point in season one that was that was kind of a, a lot but other than that they were super hands-off and it's like the notes were like today's notes are we have no notes and that was it our note is a great much. job they were although ben i will remind you that the network did one have one very early note which oh. was to give help was to give <laughs> a sidekick this is true 
This is true. I mean, they did they did like preface it by saying, "Look, we know this is." Uh, can we swear on this podcast? Of course, you encourage it. Of course. We know this is a shitty network note, but he needs a sidekick. And we were like, no, Tigtone doesn't – he doesn't party well with others. That's the whole point. He doesn't – he can't have a sidekick. He he just doesn't operate that way, and it was so – like we were so anti that. Um, but we, we worked it, and at one point the idea was that his journal was going to talk to him or something, I think, was like – and we immediately were like, no, nah, that's just terrible. <laughs> so we we came up with – um, we came up with a character and we were like, let's just come up with a sidekick that we hate and that Tigtown can literally tear apart every episode. So we came up with a, this character who has regenerative powers so that we can just destroy it every episode and just kind of like a middle finger to the note. Um, and let's give it the dumbest name possible. Let's call it Helpy. <laughs> and so that was where Helpy came from. And as soon as we started writing Helpy, we just like fell in love with Helpy and the network was totally right. And, um, you know, so hats off to them they seem to know what they're doing it's like they make shows for a living i don't know <laughs> yes one of the things that i loved about uh, i had so much fun watching helpy get born from that design process um because i remember so many of our conversations were kind of like revolving around like really annoying like 80s animatronic you know like E.T. knockoffs, right? right so, like, right, Mac right. and Me and, like, Munchies and, like, you know, there's some, like, you know, there's some Henson influence in there. But we were kind of trying to make, like, like I felt like we were trying to make the most cynical, um, like, network note creature that you could think of. Like, what if a bunch of network executives got together and, like, soullessly tried to make this thing that would appeal to children. And then like we played ourselves because like, I love Helpy so yeah. much. I love yeah. Helpy so much. And Helpy turns out to be like such a fun and endearing character. And I think the design is really, the design came out really great too. Yeah, yeah, we've always thought of Helpy as like a Jim, a Henson animatronic. <laughs> So talk to me about the conversations informing these episodes specifically between yourselves. What kind of conversations are you having together that, you know, would inspire these stories? Ridiculous ones. <laughs> Let's talk about those stories. Ridiculous. It was always so funny because like I would I would we'd be in the writer's room and I'd take a step back and like look at us from a from like a a different perspective and see that we were like sitting around this room, a bunch of grown men um, trying to figure out how you would rub magic off of a wizard's corpse. And like, <laughs> as you do. As you yeah. Do. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the writer, our writer's room was really um, super supportive and awesome and open and free. And there was no, it was, it wasn't like, it was just such an organic process. We had, you know, all of us, we had the first week, for each season is in is sort of a writer's summit where we it's andrew blake freddie myself uh ryan iffy patricia joseph those are all we so it's sort of like all the writers together and we just brainstorm for a week on premises and by the end of the week we have to deliver our 15 premises which then get chosen down to 10 for the season. And I think by the end of the week, we had like 90 premises. <laughs> and, 
Um, and then the the other writers go away, and then the five of us, Freddie, Andrew, Blake, and I, um, really like that. Oh, Andreas. I'm forgetting Andreas, our story editor. Um, yeah. We really dive into it and, like, combine premises. And some of the conversations are really, like, it's very crafted, you know, like it's a very, uh, the writing's very intentional and there's a lot of things on the show that we can't do that we don't allow ourselves to do just as far as like maintaining the tone of, of TIG tone, the TIG tone tone, um, which is like very a lot- much a reduced tone we're talking about, isn't it? You know, you have to have this reduced tone to maintain, you know, this observed comedy in it, right? Yeah, and the the kind of the some of the ground rules we had were, were like it, it, everything we take it's it, everybody on the show in the show all the characters are not aware that they're in a comedy they're not aware of the humor so there's no breaking the fourth wall there's no self referencing there's no um um a lot of an- anachronistic jokes we we don't we don't do like there's no cell phone jokes or there's yeah. no like political jokes or anything. Yeah, I was going to say that was, a, that, that was a hard rule of ours, and we called it the no jukebox rule, which was like, you're never going to see, you know, like in the Flintstones, they would have like a, a bird playing a, like a, a pterodactyl as part of a stone record player. Like, right. so our, our no jukebox rule was like, there's no jukeboxes in the Tigtone universe. There's no like version of a technology that doesn't exist yet. And you know, that's played as some kind of joke. Like we don't do that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. It's just that that was one of our, that was one of the walls of the sandbox for us. Right. Right. Um, Um, And, 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 and just from a structural point of view too, like Andreas, our story editor was kind of instrumental in helping in making sure that these episodes were formed with a very, you know, very like traditional structure so that it, the goal was always to make each episode feel like it made sense, but if you sort of peel back and look at the 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 gears of it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like that, and it always kind of like folds in on itself in weird ways. And even though the logic of it doesn't make sense, we never wanted to do anything for the sake of randomness. It, it always had to have some kind of motivation, even if the motivation itself is absurd. Um, and the fact that we take it so seriously plays off of the absurdity and that's the result is 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 tiktok you know you tiktok like the episodes always have a point right like it's not random for random sake and when it gets really deconstructed and really like wait a minute that doesn't make any sense it's often because we're using like movie tropes and you know tv tropes in order to just get to a plot point as quick as possible without having to like worry about making it make logical sense because it's about having fun. It's not about building an airtight mathematical formula to prove something. Well, but that's, I, that's to me, that was always what the, that's always what the show is about is like, it's about the communication of a, of a show with an audience through tropes and through genre um, cliches and stuff and through the you know, language of cinema that everybody knows. And then we're basically wielding that as a way to tell jokes, you know? So like we, we have these moments like the, uh, you know, the wizard hunt episode where Helpy has lost all of their magic and they're a mangled mess on the floor. And, and it's all Tigtown's fault, but they have this emotional, like 
fallen soldier on the battlefield scene that we don't earn at all. Tigtone is the one who's did this to Helpy, but yet they're there having this emotional connection and this, or they're saying this goodbye on this really deep emotional level. And that's what makes it funny because it's so unearned and it's so we just, <laughs> and we just do it and move on. And as soon as that scene is over, Tigtone's completely forgotten about it and is now on to the next scene, you know? A hero's journey is never done. Quest done! Because for a hero like Tigtone, there's always another quest. Gather your sidekicks. Come help me! And prepare for season two of Tigtone. Once you stop screaming, you die! The quest continues September 13th at midnight on Adult Swim. I only wanted to cast trouble! Do you guys have a favorite quest? Do you guys have a favorite episode? Well, I, I just thought of my favorite unearned moment, the one that like makes me laugh so hard every time is at the end of uh, spoiler alert, you know, like at the end of Princess Can uh, at the end of the Princess Castle episode in season two on HBO Max now. Um, <laughs> there's a scene where the castle has a line like, oh, you know, I really learned my lesson and now we're all friends. No, you didn't. No, you're not. None of that <laughs> happened. Like none of that happened, but it feels like it is happening in that moment, thanks to like the music and the visuals. And like, that's just about where the point in the story we should be if this was a movie. Right. If this was an if this was a normal show, it would have that moment where it's like, I've learned my lesson. I apologize. We're all friends, except we don't do any of that stuff <laughs> and that's the and that's the joke and that's what people pick up on and they go oh my god they are doing this but they didn't they don't deserve to do it you know um but yeah fa favorite episodes it's um really hard to choose um i went back and watched season one after having not seen it for quite a while because they're it's all up on hbo max now season one and two um and yeah there's i think Manless Match from season one is probably my favorite because that ends that one ends on a, a genuine sentimental note, which I don't think we ever do, um, which is Bakanka and Tigtone get to remain together forever. Um, and uh, I think in season two, Festus, uh, Credible Threat is probably my favorite from season two, just because that that one was kind of my baby. And I'm just happy to see it exists now. Yeah, I, actually, I'll tell like that one is it's a really, really strong episode. And I mean that on multiple layers. And like that one truly is Ben's baby. I mean, I, <laughs> I, think, I think in the writer's room, like at a certain point, like Andreas, our, our uh, uh, story editor was like, OK, Ben, looks like you know what you're doing. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I don't remember that, but um, that one definitely was, it was an idea that I had had for a long time, and when I say long time, like, I'm talking back to, like, to when we were writing the original stuff in 2005 or six. like, I had an idea for a short that I wanted to do, where it was, the entire thing was a battle, was a battle sequence, um, yeah. and, uh, I, yeah. you know, I gotta say the soup quest, uh, in the first season, or in the second season, too, is another one of my favorites, that one, that's a very classic Tigtone quest yeah uh, actually i was just thinking you know uh like to connect it with that idea of like what was what was adult swim willing to trust us with like i remember the calls about um tigtone versus festus 
And again, like I, that is like, it might be the best episode we've ever made. Like it's a really strong episode, but on paper, it does not really look good because it's, an, it's like, um, it's an unending string of, it's a, just a string of fight tropes and there's not really anything at stake. Nothing gets resolved. It doesn't particularly have a beginning, middle and end on paper. So I'm not going to say it was a hard sell. I'm going to say Adult Swim trusted us with it. Right. And um, Andreas, like, you know, we all trusted Ben with it, too, because we kind of like figured like, oh, this will, um, you know, like, no, this is this is the show where this can work. And it will, you know, it'll work. We believed it would work, even though it looks weird on paper, even though like it would be easy for a network, like a different network might have been like, no, 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 this doesn't add up. You got to have stakes and a beginning and a middle and an end and like, you know, this and that, right? But they didn't, so. That's very true. That's a good point. Yeah, it's also one of those, it's because you're at your, that, that episode particularly relies on the production of the episode to sell the jokes and to sell the tone, you know, like it doesn't make sense until the right music is put in, you know, it doesn't make sense until the right type of shots are in. If you're going to do the sort of Lord of the Rings, game of Thrones battle on the, on the, on the battlefield or something like you have to have the right tone, like the sad, the slow music playing against the battle. And then you get what the joke is. Then you get what the scene is, you know, but yeah, that's, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. Um, as far as being on paper. Yeah. What about off the paper? What about the cast and the cast bringing to life these characters? Are you able to talk about how much of what we see in the facial expressions of TikTok's characters, how much of that is directly from the actors' performances and how much is that, you know, stretched and exaggerated by the animators? Um, the, the, the process is that we, we record all of the voice actors and then we cut together the radio play or slash animatic at the same time. And we lock the lines so we know exactly what lines we're using. And then we take all of the shots and we split them up into individual kind of chunks on a timeline. And then Andrew and I or Blake occasionally will do all of the motion capture to the actors' performances. So we're basically lip syncing to the lines and we we just play the line on loop and we 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 mimic their vocal performance until we're basically synced up. Um and then that's the digital information that's then put onto the character. So it's sort of like three people are responsible for each character. There's the voice actor, there's the the mocap performance and then there's the animator who does their sweetening to the performance as well. Yeah. And if I could complicate it even further, um, often there is kind of a um, a step in the animation that we call head prep. And that's where someone takes the mocap data and applies it to our rigs there. We call our we call our rig, our rigs are called rigs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the faces, the faces that are set up to be animated by the mocap are rigged. And so one of the animators applies the mocap data to the rig, and that process has its finicky, noodly little things with it, right? Um, so that base, like, is then passed on to an animator who may also, like, push the expression a certain way, one way or the other, like, fix the eye direction or, like, do a couple other things. So, like, ultimately, 
like fundamentally it is not like the actor's performance is captured there's right. a lot of hands that touch it as yeah. to get to the end and right. then you know and then there's the you know the uh, creative feedback from uh ben and andrew and myself to the animators you know like hey please push this expression this way or that way or like you know fix this eye line or you know whatever that is right absolutely sorry andy circus to uh rain on your parade but the animators do a lot of work um having said that though i do notice like i can tell watching the show i can i can usually pick out who is doing what motion capture based off of our facial tics like i can tell yeah not, not only not only because it's like i know it's either andrew and i or i remember what characters we're doing but like i can tell when it's blake doing a performance because you know he's got a different facial tick than i do or whatever right um and we did do the only time we did some shots that had, didn't have mocap. I don't know if you remember, Freddie. We had some, I'm not going to say what episode or what shots, but we had some shots that we did have to. We didn't have time to do to go back and do mocap for. We had to do some pickups. Oh yeah. And so we did. We had an animator animate it from scratch without any motion capture data, and you can tell that it just doesn't have the same like underlying like quality that it does with the motion capture data. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah. We also couldn't use um, After Effects just on that. Like After Effects, ha After Effects has some off-the-rack facial um, recognition stuff. We found that that was not; it just wasn't giving us the look. It wasn't giving us the look that we were getting from the system that Andrew had set up. So, like, uh, there is like, and now I feel like you know, like we can never change it because that's the, like, we can't. <laughs> please, please, can we? <laughs> it's literally torture. It's torture. Like, <laughs> like that's why I'm like I'm watching all of this deep fake stuff and like people animating stuff on their phone like without their heads strapped to a vice, and I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous. You're <laughs> like we we actually could. I think we could reassess how we do the show, but it's. To, to like explain a little bit more about how torturous it is we're we're basically gluing these these craft beads onto our face and uh and then because the characters are all two-dimensional we can't m move our fa our faces around our heads around because if we do the it throws off the registration of the dots wow. that correspond to the actors or to the uh, character's face and if you if we do move too much it sort of gets a little swimmy the the face mocap the mocap gets a little swimmy looking and so in order to like keep our head still we basically strap we we basically took a workbench like a workout bench and and bolted a um emt neck brace onto it and so we literally clamp our heads in, into a into a chair into a workout bench and we're and it hurts your ears like for the whole first season we didn't have any pads on it it was just metal bars stuck on your ears are we talking about a Saw movie? We are. It, we called it the torture chair because it literally was that. And if you watch Demon Maze, the episode Demon Maze in season two, we put the torture chair in the end of the episode where the demon gets ah. strapped to the torture chair. Um, but and then, and then I think season two, we were, I was like, all right, let's put some pads on this thing because we're literally like, I think Andrew's ears started bleeding at one point because it was like, especially Andrew because he gets really into the acting and he gets he he's he's. He, he goes into it you know like so he's in there thrashing around in this chair <laughs> ripping his ears ripping his ears apart yeah so it's um yeah literally blood sweat and tears go into it 
Speaking of blood, sweat, and tears, what's it like working with Jeffrey Coombs for the voice of Prince Lavender? Ah, my man Jeffrey, he's the best. Um, it's amazing. He's ama- he's an amazing guy. He's an amazingly nice guy, and like very down to earth. And uh, we cast him. He was in the pilot as as Prince Lavender, and he was really responsible for changing the look of Prince Lavender. Freddie, actually, you were. Um, if you remember when we recorded the pilot, Prince Lavender was always sort of a skinny, pompous looking, like, um, uh, you know, pole, like beanpole sort of character. And when we recorded him, Freddie was like, you know, he sounds actually a little bit older and a little bit more like a, like a bumbling man child and sort of like, um, Francis from, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Uh, and so that was then we sort of retooled the design of Prince Lavender and uh, made him essentially like a, a man child, um, a little pudgy man child. But um, I think Jeff- to the character's benefit. Yeah, I mean, oh, he, he, sure. like in the original script, he was like, you know, 19 or 20 or something. Yeah. But w- yeah, with the read, I was just like this. He does not sound 20. Jeffrey Combs has this thing where it's this unique brand of of cadence that only jeffrey combs has it's his it's you know it's like jeff goldblum or you know william shatner where it's like nobody else can do that what they do and jeffrey combs just has this incredibly unique way of delivering lines and the way of like processing of like expressing information it's just endlessly entertaining to me and i want to work with him on everything from here on out but like i was i was oh, a little yeah. i was a little nervous to like meet him at first of course because he'd be such a i've been watching him since i was a teenager you know like uh, in reanimator and all that stuff and uh star trek and everything and he was just like hey guys what's up big hugs and everything and like oh awesome and then when we got the series he was he was super excited about that and like you know I think uh, he saw some, you know, that I was going on vacation somewhere and he sends me messages about where to go. Um, you know, he's like, oh, I've been there before. Go check out this restaurant and stuff. And he's he's very cool. I remember the one episode wine crisis when we needed we we had him. Uh, he's very method. So like if he's like the, in the wine episode, especially like he needed to be slurping wine. And so he had like a bottle of water in there and he's like literally drenching himself with wine. He was soaking wet by the time we finished recording. And. <laughs> And uh, there was another another part where he needed to be eating something. This I can't remember what it was, but he it was Halloween, and so we put a bunch of candy in there for him, and he was ch- just like slopping these like Snickers bars and stuff in the microphone, <laughs> and it just had chocolate running down his face, and like I I, I cut the I like I cut, I was. Um, I don't remember what circumstance it was, but I I did some editing on some of the episodes, and so I was cutting that particular scene of that episode together and i had like 10 minutes of jeffrey combs slobbering into a microphone <laughs> priceless and i sent him a message and i'm like i'm listening to you slobbering into a microphone and it's the most beautiful thing i've ever heard in my life it's so <laughs> it's so amazing i could listen to it forever i know you know what's interesting is i watch tiktok and i get this real evil dead vibe at times are you guys fans of evil dead absolutely huge yeah was it an influence? Um, horror is a huge influence on me. I'm a huge horror horror nut, and Freddie is as well. And uh, I always, if you notice, the episodes I write always have a, an element of horror in them. Um, it's just my, I'm wearing a pumpkin head shirt right now. You can't see it. But uh, oh. yeah, definitely Evil Dead, of course. All kinds of horror films, yeah. 
I just see Bruce Campbell being perfect if ever he were given an opportunity to play him in a live action film. <laughs> oh my God, Bruce Campbell is Tigtone? Is that what you're pitching? Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> we talk about a make it happen. We fans. talk about a live action Tigtone all the time, and it's actually funny because Nils could play Tigtone uh, live just because the voice is so. I don't know that you could really replace that voice. You know, it's just that's true. So, but Nils could play could play uh Tigtone for sure live action and it we're actually they actually are cast to scale Debbie is about the size of Helpy as is compared to Tigtone so they actually Helpy could be played by Debbie <laughs> in the live action Pitiful peasants of Propecia I King Prince Lavender Welcome and command you to enjoy my first annual death tournament. Sound the opening gong! Gong! My betrothed, Tigtone is the only one who can stop us. Do you think he'll come? Fred North Spacerus, our trap is set. I think he'll come. Once he's dead, we'll be able to get married, and then we'll be powerful enough to conquer this entire world, and then destroy it! Oh, I like it, I like it, I like it a lot! Andrew Curler once described this show as his hate letter to his love of fantasy. Can you guys talk about your love of fantasy and memories of fantasy as a genre? What are your earliest memories of fantasy? Dark Crystal. Dope. Yeah, a huge. I'm a huge Muppets fan, huge Jim Henson fan, and I remember that was sort of this weird experience of like watching. I think I I saw Dark Crystal before Labyrinth, and I remember watching it and having this feeling of like, I know this is Jim Henson, and I know that this is Muppets and puppets, but I'm like very uncomfortable. Why am I like? <laughs> <laughs> Why is why is this creeping me out so much? Why did Jim Henson make this? And I was like intrigued and terrified. Uh, I had a like um, as I when I was a kid, I was less into fantasy and more into science fiction. I mean, they're kind of the same thing. But I remember like uh, one of the movies that really affected me when I was you know a young uh, you know young teenager was um, Nelvana's Rock and Rule. Um, mm. This that that weird old '80s like sci-fi fantasy post-apocalyptic movie like um, that really like that really affected me as far as like that like, tone. Right. right. Well, there's of... there's something kind of awkward about especially like the fantasy movies from the '70s and '80s. Like the writing and the pacing is all kind of like if you watch like Last Unicorn or like Wizards or something. There's like an awkward, a lot of the Ralph Batchy stuff has that like awkward pacing where the timing is feels off, but like just perfect and stuff. And I think, right. you know, for us, like we love fan, like that's, we never, we never ever are like making fun of fantasy. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Like we're having fun with fantasy. We're not making fun of fantasy. And I think that. A difference. That's the big difference. You know, you watch something like, um, you know, another sort of quote unquote fantasy comedy and they're like making fun at the expense of the genre. 
And I'm not really into that the same way. I'm not really into horror movies or horror shows that like poke fun at horror. Cause I love it. Why do I want to, you know, like evil dead's a horror comedy, but they're not making fun of horror. You know, there's that, that element to it. And yeah. we're, we're always super aware of that, you know? And like, I think what Andrew means when he says our, our, what our hate letter to our love of fantasy is that we're aware of like the flaws of the fantasy of the, of the fantasy genre, especially like the movies from the eighties and nineties and stuff. Um, and we still love them. And that's sort of like this kind of um, convoluted relationship we have with them, you know? Yeah. I think maybe the hate letter part is more about using the show as an exchange as a chance to kind of like, you know, like scream in a kind of punk rock way, right? Like, you know, there's a lot, it's a very violent show and the violence is played for comedy. And then like, sometimes, I mean, sometimes, honestly, like, I feel like Tigtone really is just like, you know, howl, right? It really is just kind of like an existential, like scream into the void. Not to get like too (laughs) deep. I mean, it is, it's it's an adult swim comedy, right? But like at the same time, there is some stuff in there where there's just like expression, there's just raw expressions of pain and anguish that are just there because because it's because they're there, you know? Right. Because we're artists and sometimes it comes out like that. Right. Talk to me about the inspiration behind creating this universe for TikTok. What was what kind of inspiration were you leaning towards for creating a universe as ugly as much as it's beautiful to live inside and look at? Um, man, I that's one of those questions that like peels the curtain back a little too much and to the point where it's like I think the ground rules for the universe were sort of laid out by Andrew and I with those early scripts and we don't right. we never really t- analyze it, you know, we don't really talk. We just know that when something is in that universe that that fits and if somebody's pitching a joke or a line or a story we know when it's been formed into a tigtone story or a tigtone joke like i was saying before like there's certain rules like the jukebox we don't do like the jukebox in the tavern thing or like no real self-referential stuff but for us like the sense it's a couple of things one is like the language aspect of it as far as fantasy goes we always thought it was really amusing when we would watch fantasy movies that would try to like invent their own language you know and it was always sort of like (laughs) this you know really it never really works or it always feels kind of generic or or silly and for us we just decided to make poor grammar our fantasy language and so that's why everybody speaks with this really horrible sense of grammar. And um, we play a lot with like turning phrases inside out and um, rearranging thoughts in, in terms of like past and present tense merging together. And that's sort of our language for the show. OK, so there's that aspect of it. Right. Um, and then as far as the, the logic aspect of it goes, we – a fantasy, you know, like fantasy has to get you on board with their universe, right? In order for the rules to make sense. And the rules, if you strip away the, the if you strip away the, um, the setup for any fantasy movie, if you look at it, you're like, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> like, it's so ridiculous, but like Lord of the Rings sets it up and you believe that they have these powers and there's, there's these types of characters and all that stuff. And so we just don't, we just don't set up the world we just you we just use the tools to create the fantasy and that's why it feels so ridiculous and because it's we're just not we're just not um suspending your disbelief (laughs) you know yeah 
Uh, yeah, wouldn't want to any other way. It wouldn't work any other way either, would it? Right, right. Um, a huge part of the fun of making Tigtone is this philosophy of, um, and I think Andrew uh, said something along the lines of like, I just want to use off the rack stuff and have fun with it, um, which I thought was brilliant. You know, like we've got all of these wonderful fantasy tropes that we're all totally steeped in these days. And I mean, like who doesn't know what D&D is, right? Like, so we have this right. kind of like base that we can play from. And it's like, do we have to explain what a wizard is to you? No, you already know. That's like an off the rack concept that we can just put a twist on and like delight ourselves with and hopefully delight other people with. Right. But our, our twists on wizard is that they lose their powers once a year and, and humans hunt them. You know, like that's in particular. So that I guess that's always kind of the thing, too, is like we're taking all these off the shelf fantasy concepts and then um putting this kind of nihilistic uh <laughs> t twist on them in order to sort of play with them more and have fun with them a hero's quest, a quest! begins with a simple quest the world is at stake the world is at stake soon you will know his name you are in for some trouble tiktoe tiktoe is my middle name for he is tiktoe begins tonight at midnight on Adult Swim. We we mull over every line, really. We really do. And like um because so a lot of lines they need to be delivered in a very specific way in order for it to make sense, in order for it to work. And so we do the, the actors get a lot of they they get to play a lot and they get to bring a lot to the table, but sometimes there's occasions where you know, we hate to we hate to anybody a line reading but everybody knows on the show when they come in they're like okay there's going to be some lines and then and i think everybody in season two by that point just could recognize where a line was that they were going to need a line reading for like debbie would be like i have no idea what this means i need you to give me a line reading um i'm trying to think of like uh, an example off the top of my head of like um I am too. It's that kind of thing that you and Andrew would like really have fun with where it was just like picking apart like the dumb rules of English, right? Like you would be the person who would do that. Wouldn't you be that one who would? Right, right. Or or, or like mm. another example is like in the fe in the credible threat episode. And this was an Andrew line that he just came up with on the spot. We were the, at the end when, uh, Lord Festus and Tigtone are two giant heads and they're and Festus is surprised that Tigtone is still alive and Festus is like Tigtone and Tigtone's original line was um that's what did he say that's I was like that's the first credit or that's the first <laughs> What did he say originally that I wrote? I can't even remember because now the a new one. I think <laughs> no, he said like, that's, <laughs> oh, right. that's, that's the first much. that's the first right thing you've said all day or something. And Andrew's like, he should just say that's the first thing you've said all day. And that's what he says. <laughs> that's the first <laughs> thing you've said all day. And it's like, doesn't make any, <laughs> any sense. But it's because it's that moment in every other movie and every other show, you know that moment. And so you know that we're doing something, we're, we're, off the rails in that moment. And that's where the comedy comes from, you know? Um, or Tigtone saying, I don't make the rules. I am Tigtone. You know, like <laughs> that's, 
that's another one where we're taking that phrase, I don't make the rules, I break the rules, and we're putting, we're just slapping Tigtone into it, you know? We're talking about a brain trust of collaborators, and it goes without saying that you're absorbing each other's influences, you know, and you're learning things about each other along the way. What was it that you both taught each other making Tigtone? I'll, I'll jump in on that. Like, uh, um, uh, like, I had an enormous amount of fun working with Ben, like, on season one. Um, like, a horrible time on season two. No, well, <laughs> see, well, no, see, I'm just season two, you were, no, but circumstances didn't permit you to be around as much. I, I know. But, like, right. um, like, Ben and I just spent a lot of hours together on season one, and, like, you know, I'm I come from animation and Ben comes from film. And I just learned so much working with Ben making Tigtone because Ben was bringing so many great like film ideas, which like I don't get to play, you know, like historically I didn't get to play around with in animation very much because animation tends to be so much flatter uh, and less cinematic than what Tigtone is. Um, so that was like, I mean, I felt like I got to go to film school for four years over the course of like, you know, six months. It was great. That's awesome. Thank you, Freddie. That is, I, it's funny cause I actually feel like I was going through film school too, cause this was my first time doing, um, production on this level. And so it was sort of like all of the stuff that I have been educating myself on, I'm now able to sort of put to work, but I would say, I would say the exact opposite not the opposite, not the, I, I learned nothing from you, Freddie. That's what I'm trying to say. There's no, nothing uh, <laughs> no, um, I would say that the, the, I'm, the, I'm on the other side of that coin where I had never worked in animation before. And so I came into it with no experience in animation. Um, and, f and in the same way, like I learned so much about animation from Freddie and just like how you compose shots and how you sort of work storyboards and also like delegating work to a team of people as well and communicating ideas throughout the um the different departments and stuff but really just like the language you know like how you put together animation and, and how you tell stories through storyboarding and how important that is because the direct you know the freddy's the director and he's like very hands-on with the actually creating the shots um you know and it was a new a new process for me as well which I was sort of like holding on to Freddie and everybody else there too, in terms of the working order, the process, the workflow, because animation is kind of the opposite. It's like backwards from live action, you know, where it's like you shoot live action coverage and then you assemble it in the edit. And well, with animation, you basically do the editing first and then make the shots, you know? Um, but yeah, it was, a. I think everybody was just learning from everybody because we were all like in the writer's room too. Like everybody was bringing their own, their own, unique experiences and um just sort of it it was great to see that this thing that andrew and i had is now no longer ours it's everybody's you know that's i think that was like the great the greatest thing was to see everybody contributing to it and making it their own what was it you learned from chris pranoski making this <laughs> I've, got, I've got i've got a chris one early i've been at titmouse for over 11 years now um and like the first or second week I was there, um, you know, like this is back when Chris would be like walking around the 20 or so meters that were like right. in the building. And uh, 
I really wanted to do a good job, you know, like I was new to the studio, I was doing like layouts or, you know, some, you know, some relatively low tier job there. And uh, I was like, oh, Mr. You know, I was like, oh, Chris, um, do you want these in a PNG format or JPEG or what is the pixel dimension? Like, and Chris like looked at me and he's like, just make it look cool. <laughs> and like from that day, I was like, I will do my damnedest to make it look cool. That is the best direction I have ever received. Um, yeah, Chris, That's it was good. funny because when we were pit, like, we, Tim House was the first place we wanted to go to. It was like, that was, that was the number one spot place to go to. And so when, I remember when we had that first meeting with Chris P and Antonio, and I think Ben K was there. Um, yeah, he was. And we sort of were telling them how the show was made. And I remember very specifically feeling like we were going to walk in there and they were going to say like, uh, you don't, this is not how you make a show. <laughs> like, you don't do this. This isn't right. This is crazy. It, we're, we can't do this. Uh, and so we went in there, we had the meeting, we told it to him and Chris was immediately just like, this is not how you make a show. This is crazy. Let's do it. And so I was like, he always was like that champion of like, yeah, just do it. You know, like, let's see if it works. Uh, I also learned how to do a pretty good, uh, I think a pretty good crispy impression. I don't know. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> that was, everybody, nobody ever talks about crispy without doing his voice. It's so great. That's true. But uh, yeah, but yeah, they were amazing. And it was just sort of like no question about it. It was just like immediately went into R&D and figured it out. And that was, you know, crispy was like, yeah, let's do it. What about outside of TikTok? Do you guys have any plans to collaborate on another project yourselves? Yeah. Yourself and Frederick. Uh, but yeah, Ben and I have definitely kept in touch. Um, actually, during TikTok, Ben uh, uh, Ben hired me as an actor uh. in one of his uh, in one of his uh, uh, shorts. That is correct. Um, yeah, when we were doing the pilot, right? That was was that it? Yeah. Was it, I, I think we were. In might have been the no pilot. no it, it it had to have been the pilot because there was some there was some crossover that's... time when I was still a pro I was producer at Mashable Studios right and, and that's where I did that that was for one of the series that I did over there yeah so there was and there was a, like a couple of week crossover when I was working on the pilot and working at Mashable that I was like I can't do both so I left Mashable to focus on the pilot um yeah gosh that's right that's so funny um John Schnepp was in that short as well rest in peace rest in peace um yeah we are i mean freddie and i have talked about doing a monster movie uh or a, a monster series um yeah, we have a couple of things that we've been kicking back and forth yeah <laughs> like i ha i totally have a bunch of stuff that i haven't been working on like, <laughs> like you know i've got like outlines half written and like yeah i mean always like i'm i'm always uh developing stuff and you know i'm um i'm all you, you gotta have a lot of stuff on the back burner i think that that's one of the things that i realized with tigtown like season one was really focused on tigtown um sort of put all my eggs in the tigtown basket and then season two we were pregnant with our second child so it's kind of like focused on that and developing stuff on the side but i'm really like got a few animated projects that I'm working on, got something that we're pitching. Uh, my wife and I developed uh, that we're actually pitching this week to Cartoon Network and next week, next week to Nickelodeon. And 
Um, I was talking to our uh, story editor, Andreas, about some other projects, and Freddie and I are like wants want to do a little uh, a little monster movie as far as like puppets and all that stuff. And um, yeah, for sure, we're we're all everybody's working on all kinds of stuff. Chirp. I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh-oh. You're wrong. <laughs> Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My people saw you with me where you were.